Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Hey, we are in this series called Hooked, where we're talking about the, the E word, the word evangelism. And I know there's a lot of different kind of ideas that run through your mind, you know, when you hear that word uh, evangelism. But we're talking about something that really is the bookends in the life and ministry of Jesus and what he's called us to do. In fact, when he showed up on the scene and he picked two guys on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and said, hey, I want you to follow me, two fishermen. He said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. And then when he left this world and ascended into heaven, he said, now go throughout the world and, and tell everybody the good news of Jesus. So really evangelism is the bookends of, of what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. It's not, some churches will, will kind of pit evangelism against discipleship. You know what I'm saying? Some churches will say, well, we're an evangelistic church. We're all about reaching and seeking the lost. And others will say, well, we're a discipleship church. We're just about going deeper. But can I tell you something? It was never meant to be a one or the other. It was always meant to be a both. And in fact, at the core of discipleship and following Jesus is evangelism. Is telling people about him. And at the core of being an evangelist, right, is, is also being a disciple in growing in our faith in Christ. And so they're not to be pit against one another. They are to work in, in concert with each other. And so today, I want to talk to us on a practical level how we do this, how we fish. Um, because if we just, you know, put it plainly, like if you, you, you can't disciple a fish, you ain't caught. You know what I'm saying? I know that's bad grammar, but it's good theology. You can't disciple fish you ain't caught. And so part of what we're called to do is to catch fish, be fishers of men. So one of the questions that I will get pretty often is, Colby, how do I share my faith? And I love that question. I love it for two different reasons. One is because it's a selfless question, is it not? It's a question that reveals your heart for the city, your heart for, for, for God, your heart for the things of God and what's important to God. So I love that, but I think you asked too, not just because it's a mandate on our church, but it's a mandate on you as a follower of Jesus. And I, I know this isn't for everybody in the room. We're not all, you know, maybe following Jesus and some of you are just checking out the whole faith thing and, and who God is and what God means in your life. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. But you understand that evangelism is not just a good idea, it's a God idea. See, if I was to give you my ideas and my opinions, right, those are up for scrutiny, those are up for debate, right, all that. But when Jesus gives us an idea, it's a mandate on our life. And this is what he has called us to do in Mark 16, 15, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. We often say that Jesus is our message, that everything that we do wants to, to, to lead into that moment where we point you to Jesus, the only one who can give you hope, the only one who can save you and set you free. Like that's our, our goal. And so one of the things we believe at Elevate, we're, just, we're not a church for just church people. It's not about just us four and no more. You know what I'm talking about? This is for everyone. We are a church on a mission, the great co-mission. We are co-laborers with Christ in that mission of reaching the lost. 
And here's what I know about every single person in this room. This is a broad statement, but it's true. You are in one of two places. One, you are trying to discover who God is. And maybe this is your last ditch effort. Maybe you walk through these doors today and you, you have had it, you are done. Maybe some tragedy, you know, brought you through these doors or, you know, caused you to tune in online today and you just, you're like, all right, I don't know where else to turn and I'm so glad that you're here. Maybe it was, it was something in your life. There's this void that you feel that when you look into that mirror and you see those, those eyes staring back at you and they seem empty and hollow and it asks you, like, what is your life all about? What is going on, you know, inside your heart and in your life? What is your purpose? That might be the thing that, that drew you here. You are searching for who God is. But others of you, you know. And you also realize because you know who God is that now it is your job to make him known, to get the word out as far and as fast as you can. So we're all in one of those two places. Either you're discovering God or you know God. And one of the things that's on God's heart is joining him in his cause in the search and rescue mission to save, seek and save that which is lost. I've told you before about my son Park, uh, when he was small, like four or five years old, and he got lost in a crowd at Hilton Head, and it was, it was one of the scariest things, most terrifying things to lose a child in this massive crowd, all right? It's, I, I don't even like to talk about it, but how many of you know when you lose something valuable, you don't stop and take inventory of the found things that you have? You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't like I said, well, we got three more kids, That's okay. That's just, you know, it's 25% gone. It's fine. That's not what we did. You don't lose your keys and then think, well, I got my pants, you know, so we're good. That would, if you lost your keys and your pants, you, you were doing something you shouldn't have been doing, number one. Right? You don't stop and take inventory of the things that you, you have, the found things. No, you are distracted. You are consumed. You are obsessed with that which is lost. Can I tell you what God's obsessed with? See, God loves that we gathered today. Man, he loves it. He loves that we worshiped. He loves that we would lift our voices to him. It blesses his heart that we'd sit here and open up his word and dive into what he has for us. But can I tell you something? He's not consumed by it. He's not obsessed with it. It's not what keeps him up at night. You know what it is? Lost people, things that are lost. Jesus talks about it in, in several parables, the things that are, are lost. It's, it's God's heart for humanity. He is consumed with it. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, it tells us we are Christ's ambassadors. Like we are, we're here to represent Jesus. We, we might be the only Jesus that many people see in this world. We are his ambassadors, and God is making his appeal to people through you, through us. We are plan A. There is no plan B. We are the representatives of Jesus in this earth. And I think for the most part, a lot of churches have gotten this wrong. Not all, but, but a lot, because sometimes we'll see two different extremes in the church. We'll see the churches that are, are kind of like, you know, let's, let's, just, let's just be like the world. Let's look like the world. You know, let's, 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 Jesus is our homeboy. And we'll call this uncommon God by common names. 
this holy God will just kind of dumb down to our love. Jesus is my homeboy, and we just want to be the cool church. And let's just, let's just let people do what they want to do. Let's let people think what they want. In fact, let's be the vaping church. Let's just vape in church. Come on, bust it out. I'll be the vaping pastor, right? Let's just go. Let's just let's be the weed church. Why not, right? Elevate sounds like a dispensary, so we might as well just kind of, we got Erie Rise, we got Elevate, let's go. How many of you know you can't make a difference if you are not different? We're not supposed to address an uncommon God with commonalities. He's holy. He's worthy. But there's this other extreme churches we'll go to where they're so dogmatic and so rude and so like, I mean, you ever walk out of a church and felt like you just got beat up? Yeah. Right? Instead of built up, you felt like, man, why would I ever go back there? If I feel this way every time I leave, like, do I really want to know that God? And so, like, there's these two different ends of the spectrum. And here's what I want to share with us today is that can we stand for truth and be attractive at the same time? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. In fact, I would argue that the truth is attractive. It's attractive. And so we're going to talk about that. Here's the verse of the days. Colossians uh, chapter 4, verse 5 says this. It's telling us not to, be, not to be obnoxious, but to be wise, right? Don't be, don't be silent, though, but be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Like when you're, when you're with them. Outsiders being people who don't believe necessarily as you believe. It says, you are the representative of Jesus, so be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt. How many of you know salt makes things better, does it not? In other words, have a conversation with people in such a way that's easy for them to understand. Easy, it's palatable for them. It, it, it tastes good going, going down. Give truth, but make it palatable so that you may know how to answer. Everybody say answer. Answer everyone. That's what I want to help you do today. Help us have an answer for the faith and the hope that we have in Jesus. I, I love taking things that have been, you know, overcomplicated and, and bringing them down and making them practical. I, I want to show us how easy it is for us to be wise and to engage in conversations in such a way that's full of grace and seasoned with salt that makes us attractive to people. In fact, our goal is that, that people would just come back to church. In fact, you'll hear us say it, you know, all the time, just keep coming back. Like, we don't care why you showed up. We don't care what brought you through those doors. Like, maybe, maybe you heard we were the vaping church, and that's what brought you through. I don't know. Like, we don't care. All we understand is that if you keep coming back, over and over, eventually God is going to grab a hold of your heart. He's going to meet you right where you are. And you're going to have this undeniable experience with who God is. And it's going to change you because guess what? We can't do that. The worship doesn't do it. I don't do it. Like only God can change your heart. Only God's spirit. So we just want you to keep coming back. Keep coming back. First Peter 3.15 says this. Always be what? Always be prepared, prepared. And I know that's why many people ask about sharing their faith because you don't feel prepared. In fact, let's 
like clear the table, no one is, is above sharing their faith in this room. No one's above it. And you know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. Okay, well, then teach the first thing that God taught, how to catch fish, how to catch people. But you're also not beneath it. And a lot of times people say, I don't feel prepared. I don't know what to say. I, don't, I wouldn't even know where, where to start. So that's what I'm going to help us do today. Always be prepared. Maybe you've never heard a message on this. Or maybe you went to a church and they told you, hey, share your faith. And you're like, okay, but how, how do I do that? You have no idea how to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So when people ask you for the reason for the hope that you have, or when people ask you, hey, why do you go to church every week? Why do you serve? Why do you invest? Why do you give? Why do you, you know, are involved in a group or pray? Peter tells us to be prepared, to give an answer for why. And so I'm gonna give you three simple things, super practical. And at the end, I wanna share, I think what is the greatest hurdle for people who, who feel like you know, they're just seeking who God is and why they wouldn't put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus for salvation. So first of all, I want to talk to those of you about sharing your faith. And I think very simply, you know, if we're going to reach people that, that Jesus would reach the lost, then we should do it like Jesus would do it. Do you not agree? Like, so I want to speak from this title, if you want a title, and that is How Jesus fished. How Jesus fished. Like the way he would do it. And here's the first one. I want you to write it down. You got to connect before you correct. And it rhymes, so you know it's true. <laughs> connect before you correct. The problem is a lot of people want to correct before they connect. And how many of you know people will never receive correction unless there's first a connection. And the best example of this is Jesus. I mean, Jesus was the master at connecting with people. The woman at the well, he connected. Did he correct? Absolutely. The, the woman caught in adultery, he connected with her. You know, who? where are your accusers now? But did he correct her? Yes. You can connect with people and not compromise the truth. And Jesus was incredible at this. He is our, our example of this. And, and it's all because of that, that old axiom that we all know that is true. People don't care what you know until they what? Know that you care. Like we have to connect first. This is why I refuse to bring you a message that just gives you information and arms you with information to take into to Starbucks to win you know, a battle against your atheist friend. Because how many of you know you could win and lose at the same time? You could win, you could be right, but the way you go about it could be dead wrong. You could lose relationship, you could lose influence. We have to connect before we correct. Because the goal isn't being right. The goal is to be effective. Effective with the gospel, effective with the mission that God has, has placed us on. And so in order to be effective, we have to first connect before we correct. This is why, by the way, we have days like our 814 day and serve days where we go out to the city and just love people right where they are. 
We are winning an opportunity to share with them, right? We're, we're doing it. We're, we're serving water. We're, 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 we're painting fences. We are, are hosting parties in parks, right, to love on people, but ultimately, hopefully, to win an opportunity to befriend them so we can tell them the greatest news this world has ever heard. That's why we do it. We need to connect with them first because people don't know, don't care what you know till they know that you care. In fact, I would say this. People don't care what you say. They care what you show and how you love. In fact, if you will just love people, and we're going to talk about this next week. In fact, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but next week we're going to talk about, like, the irresistible bait because every fisherman is looking for that, that bait, right, that, you know, all the fish find irresistible. Well, we have it. It's love. It's the irresistible bait. It's, it's, it's what got you and I into this relationship with God in the first place. For God so loved. It's not, I, got, I can't, I got to keep going. You got to keep going. But if we just genuinely love people, can I tell you, it opens the door for them to hear the truth. But you can't correct before you connect. Let me show you a verse in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The job description of Jesus, I think I've shared it every single week uh, in this series so far. Jesus says, here's why I'm here. That the Son of Man, right, came to seek and save the lost. In fact, I would say this. If we're going to have a church that looks like Jesus, then we have to do it like Jesus. We should be doing this. We should be doing everything we can to join in the effort to seek and save the lost. But the reason why Jesus is giving his job description in this moment begins 10 verses earlier in verse 1 of Luke 19. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through. There was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. Tax collectors were already hated. Tax collectors were, were traitors. They were sellouts. They, they purchased the rights from Rome to tax their own communities so that they could make a buck. Now, this guy was the chief of them. And so he had other tax collectors that were under him. So he was hated. He was despised, but no one liked him. It says this, and he wanted, watch this, to see who Jesus was. Notice it didn't say that he wanted to know what Jesus knew. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And I'm telling you, people don't want to know what you know. They want to see who you are. They want to see the way you live your life. They want to watch you. You are Christ's ambassadors. You are the representatives of Jesus. It says, and Zacchaeus was a, a short little guy, the Bible says. He couldn't see over the crowd, so he climbed up in a sycamore tree. For the Lord, he wanted to see where my Baptist at. <laughs> it says, Jesus was coming that way, it says. And when Jesus came by the spot where he was, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said, you traitor. You thief, how dare you sell your own people? That's not what he said. What, is it, what does it say? Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm coming over to your house. Man, everybody watching this unfold. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go have lunch with you. In other words, I wanna see where you live. I wanna experience your world. I want to see, you know, what your life looks like. I want, to, I want to walk a mile in your shoes, so to speak. I want to get into your world. I want to 
connect with you. And what does it say? He came down at once, and what did he do? He welcomed him gladly. Elevate Church, when you will connect before you correct people, they will welcome you gladly. They will love you. They will be so excited that you cared about their life and about walking for a minute with them in their, their life. And the religious people looked on. It says they muttered. I don't know what that sounded like. Just mutter, mutter, mutter. I don't even know. <laughs> said he's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Another place in God's word, it says Jesus is a friend of sinners. See, people will criticize us for all kinds of things. That's okay. The music's too loud. Um, the pastor's too handsome. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. Come on, people. They'll criticize us for all kinds of things. You know what I want them to say above anything? And that church is a friend of sinners. And they're a friend of sinners. That anyone's welcome, because guess what? I'm one of them. And so are you. We're a friend of, of sinners. However, I hope the, 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 watch what happens next is what it says. Zacchaeus stood up, and this was after lunch. And so there was like this gap, and we don't even know what happened. I don't even know if Luke was invited to lunch because um, there's this gap. It says Zacchaeus stood up, and he says this, look, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone of anything, I will pay that person back four times what they think I stole from them. Like, what happened at that lunch, right? Like, that must have been some kind of lunch. And Jesus said this. He said, today, you figured out what this is all about. You figured out who I am. You figured out Christianity. He said, today, salvation has come to your house because here it is, the Son of Man, there's our verse, came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to connect before he corrected. Whatever went down at that, that lunch must have been real. It must have been authentic. It must have been nothing else like it. There must have been this unbelievable amount of love for this individual that everyone hated and despised. I'm telling you, church, if we will just care for people and add value to people and love people and just connect before we correct. That's number one. Number two, write it down. Then we got to prepare to share. Prepare. Prepare to share your story. In fact, the best thing that I can tell you uh, is don't tell people how they should live. You're not going to find a Bible verse for that, right? Don't tell people how they should live. Just share with them how you've changed. Don't say, you should do this differently. You should do that. You should change this way. Just share with them the way that, that you've changed. Just share with them the difference that God has made in your own Life. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus is talking. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and in, in return, they will glorify your Father in heaven. So what happens is as your light shines and as they see your good deeds, by the way, not perfect deeds, good, are you with me? God's never asked us for perfection, any single one of us, because he knows we can't offer that. But our, our good deeds, when they see that, they will want what you have, and they'll glorify God because of it. They'll say, man, there's something different about that person. The way they live, 
the way they respond to that hostile environment in the workplace, the way they, they act in school when everyone else is acting like a fool around them and swearing and they don't. There's something different about them. I want what they have. I want that peace. I want that hope. I want that joy. Are you with me? When they see that in you, right, it says they'll glorify God. I want their, their God. I want what they have. And that's why we need to look for opportunities to share. Acts 1.8 says this, you will be my witnesses. Somebody say witnesses. witnesses. You'll be my witness, telling people about me everywhere. My witness. I, I was supposed to do jury duty this summer, which, man, I was just totally bummed about that. I'm like, really? Jury duty in the summer? And I understand it's my civic, civic responsibility. All, I get all that. But in the summer, I was just super bummed but then I got the email, and I'm so grateful for they're doing this now. They'll send you an email the day before, like, to show up or not show up, and they said, you don't have to show up. And I'm like, yes, you know, that's awesome. But I was thinking about this. In a courtroom, you have all these different players. You have, you have a judge, right? You have prosecutors. You have the, the defense, and you have witnesses. Can I tell you something? We are not asked to be the judge. We're not asked to judge. In fact, if I could just... Say this, why are we holding organizations to Christian standards who are not Christian? Sometimes people will say, Colby, we should, we should boycott Chipotle. I'm like, really? I love Chipotle. <laughs> well, did you hear what they're doing for their employees? Did you hear like this and that and how they're... I'm like, why would you hold them to a, a standard, you know, that, that God has set when they're not even... Like, they're not a Christian organization. Are you with me? We are not called to be, be the judge of people outside of the church. Don't even get me started on this, because sometimes people say, well, don't judge me, don't judge me. Inside of the church, if you're a believer, that's not what God's word says. Like, we are supposed to hold each other accountable in love. The Bible says, you know, judge not lest you be judged with the measure that you judge. So be careful on that. But we're not the judge. We're also not called to be the, the, the prosecution either. We're also not called to be the defense. What we're called to be, the Bible says, is a witness. And what does a witness do? They share their side of the story. They just share what it's done for you. They share what you've seen, what you've experienced, the difference it's made in your life. That's what he's asking us to do. Just share how, how God and your faith has impacted your life. Every single one of us as followers of Jesus are to share our story and prepare to share. How many of you know fishermen love to share stories? Don't they? Right, the one, you should see the one that got away. You know, or it was this big, you liar, right? <laughs> We're called to share. Share our story. And I would encourage you, like, practice it. Practice it. Get it down to like a two-minute version. Here's, here's my two-minute version of my story. I, was, I grew up in a Christian home, and I believe that because of my, 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 my parents' faith that I was okay. And I believe that because, you know, one day my good was going to outweigh my bad, I would tip the scales, I would make it 
to heaven. But then I got to college and I realized like one, one afternoon because we had a, a revival at Asbury College in Kentucky and I just realized that it wasn't about where I was that made me a follower of Jesus, it was about who I knew. And in that moment, I surrendered my life to Christ at 2 a.m. in an empty chapel at Asbury College. I, I surrendered my life at the altar and gave Jesus my life and had him come live inside of me. And I preached my very first message to an empty auditorium. Everybody got saved up in there. And I just knew that from that point on, that would be my mission that I wanted to tell people it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship, a real relationship that you can have with God. It doesn't matter how you were brought up. It doesn't matter, you know, which, you know if your grandma went to church or if your, your uncle took you to church. What matters is one of the scariest, I know this isn't my two-minute version, but one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me is the one where Jesus said, hey, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, on that day. And God will say, get away from me. I never knew you. Listen, if you don't know God, it's not about church attendance. It's not about, you know, giving and, and, and serving and all those kinds of things. It's do you have a personal relationship with God? That's, what, that's the difference maker. So you can share your story with them. That's all I'm saying in a, in a way that, that, that won't turn them off to God. It's not condemning. It's not pointing the finger. It's just, hey, this is the difference that it's made in my life. Here's the third thing. I got a role, and that is offer an opportunity. Offer an opportunity. Uh, extend an, an invite to them where they can come and experience God. In fact, we don't call this a church service, right? Because a, a service is something that you, you attend. You know, this is not something you attend. This is an experience. We're trying to set the table for you to have an encounter with God. Why, Colby? Because an experience with God always trumps an explanation of God. Like, I can explain who God is all day long, but if you have an encounter with him, man, that's what's going to change you from the inside out. Not an explanation, not more information. In fact, for some of you, the last thing that you need is more information about God. What you need is an undeniable experience with the living God to where you say, that was God, that was nothing else. Because we are so aware, this has nothing to do with me, this has nothing to do with, with the band, this has nothing to do with anything other than God's spirit moving. And if we can just set the table and give you an opportunity to have an experience with God, listen, I know there's some skeptics here. I, I was one of you. Like, I get it. But if you will have a face-to-face -face encounter with God, it will change you. And that's why one of our dreams isn't, isn't to get you connected to a church. It's to get you connected to God. Eight years ago when we were portable, I remember um, this guy coming up to me at the end of our, we, we were meeting at Harding School at 8th and Lincoln, and this guy, big old burly guy, leather jacket, I think tatted up his neck. You know, he's just kind of, he's, and you know when somebody's looking at you and making a beeline for you, you know what I'm talking about? Like he, we locked eyes. And I'm like, this is going to be really bad or really good. And he's like, walking my way, he's going, hey, hey. And I'm like, it's really bad. It's really bad. I'm going to start looking around. <laughs> Who can help me? He's like, hey. This was after a, a church, you know, worship experience. He's like, hey, there's something in that room. 
And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, dude. I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, there was something in that room. And then I started to get it. He's like, and I can't put my finger on what it was. And I said, well, did you, did you like it? He said, I don't know yet, but I'm going to keep coming back. And can I tell you something? He's still here. Every single weekend, he still comes because it's not about an explanation of God. It's about an experience with him. And we don't need another church. We don't need another religious institution. What people need is a, an undeniable encounter with God. And if you're here today and you're a skeptic or a hater and you're kind of, you know, checking this whole thing out, listen, you have something in common with a guy who wrote, you know, more than anybody else wrote in the New Testament. His name was Paul and he was a hater. He was a Christian killer. He grew up a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so he was out, you know, for, he, he believed that anybody following Jesus was part of a cult until, until he had a, an encounter with God on the Damascus road. And that's why Paul could say this in 1 Corinthians 2, 1, 5. He could say, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you. Because that's not what gets people saved. He says, with polished speeches, because that's not going to help either. We'll don't have to do this. And the latest philosophy, even though Paul would be qualified to give you all that. He says, I deliberately did what? I kept it plain and simple. First, who Jesus was. Hey, this is for somebody here right now. This is for somebody watching online. You first need to know who Jesus was. And then second, what he did. For you, by the way. What he's done for you. You need to know him and what he can do in your life. He said, Jesus crucified. And I was unsure how to go about this. He said, I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death if you want to know the truth of it. This right here frees me up personally. Like, I don't have to, like, I'm partnering with what God wants to do up here. Like, I don't have to polish speeches. I don't have to say anything exactly right. Like, this is, this is what God's word says. It says, if you want the truth of it, and so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else, but the message came through Anyway, how? God's spirit. That's it. That's all we need. God's spirit. The word is, is pneuma. It means wind. It means breath. And how many of you know you can't see wind, but you can feel it? You, it's, it's undeniable when it comes. That's how you will know. Through God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response not to whoever gives you the best explanation not to whoever gives you the most information about God, but is a response to God's power. That's it, not some fancy mental or emotional work or footwork, he says, by me or anyone else. That's why I would encourage you, encourage you, invite people. Invite people to a place they can experience God. And if you're here today and you're kicking the tires, there's no pressure. No pressure. You don't have to serve anything, give anything, say anything, do anything. Like, no pressure. Like, we're just praying that you would have an encounter with God. So let's connect before we correct. Let's, let's um, help meet practical needs and just show people love. Let's prepare Christ's follower to share. Let's do that. Let's, let's, let's have an answer for the hope that we have. And let's not tell people how they need to change. Let's just show them the way that we've changed. 
And then let's give an invite to experience God. Now, all that being said, there's still this great disconnect. And probably the greatest hurdle for people to making a decision to surrender their life to Christ and follow God. And, and here's what I believe. It's because you have an inaccurate picture of who God is. You just have the wrong understanding of who, because why on earth would you not want what God has to offer you? Unless you didn't fully understand or had this, this picture in your mind. I was thinking about how uh, a while back I was telling one of my boys when they were little, I'm like, hey, you want to go outside and let's, let's, play, let's play baseball? And they're like, no, I don't want to play baseball. I don't, I don't like getting tackled and those helmets are too heavy. I'm like, hey, Einstein, that's football. It's not baseball. Let's play, oh, baseball, yeah, I want to play baseball. And I say that because I think sometimes that's how people respond to who God is. And coming to church, hey, why don't you come to church? And no, I don't want anything to do with that because he's a cruel God. He's, he's a God who doesn't want me to have any fun in my life. He just wants me to follow this set of rules. And can I tell you something? That's not who God is. In fact, those of you who are parents, you understand the rules that God, God gives us are not there to keep us from fun. They are there to protect us. Can, can I tell you something? There is so much freedom in the boundaries that God gives us. As a parent, I don't, like my child says, I'm gonna go play out in the street. I'm like, I'll go for it, right? No, right? And, and I tell them no, and I, I, I tell them no sternly because I know playing out in the street could kill them. There's some things that God tells us no, not because he doesn't like us or want us to have fun. He tells us no because he knows it hurts you. There's so much freedom. You might just have an inaccurate picture of who God is. See, some people will say, well, God is, God is distant. God's distant. He's like uh, somewhere way out in the, the universe, someplace that he's, he's a remote God, that he's, he's not close at all to us, but God is not a distant God. In fact, sometimes I'll tell people, I'll say, you know what, God is, you know, if you feel like you're a million miles from God, but that's theologically not correct when I say that. Especially if you're a Christ follower, God is not, you know, just, you know, God with us. He is God in us. He's always with you. And somebody here today needs to hear God is closer than you think. He's so much closer to you. God is near to the brokenhearted. In fact, that's probably why you walk through these doors today. Because you're broken and you're searching for something. God, God is not a, you know, distant God. He's closer than you, you think. Acts 17, 27 says he doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He is, is near. Some people see God as a, a despising God. And when we see God through the lens of like this pile of, of baggage, this pile of, of luggage that we carry, that God could never love me because of all my junk, all my baggage, all my failures, all my mistakes, that God must be disgusted by it. Colby, I understand God's a good God and he loves people, but you don't know everything that I've done. That might be you today, that might be your, your argument, but it's a lie that people buy into that God is unforgiving, that God doesn't want you, that God despises you, that God is disgusted by you. In fact, can I just tell you something? God knows you and God understands what is broken inside of you that caused you 
to make those decisions to carry that stuff with you. He knows that. But he says, man, I love you right where you are, just as you are. And a lot of people think, man, I got to get rid of that stuff before I come to God. The opposite is true. You come to God so that you can get rid of that stuff. Somebody needs to hear that. You think God is is a a despising kind of God. Some of you believe, or Romans 5.8 says this, and then we'll move on, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I love that verse. It wasn't as if Jesus went to the cross and as they're about to, you know, drive nails through his, his wrists and through his feet, he was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I want to make sure this is going to work. I want to make sure somebody's going to get saved because that's not what he did. He said, while we were sinners, while they were beating him, while they were spitting on him, while they were driving nails through his his wrist, he said, I'll pay for that too, and I'll pay for that too. And while you're doing what you're doing, I'll pay for that too. Right? While we were still sinners, God did that for us. Why would he do that? To show his great love for you. He's not a despising God. He's not disgusted by you. Man, he loves you. Some people think he's demanding, right? There's this mountain to, to climb that, that, you know, it's all about works and works. And, you know, I have to prove myself and I have to earn God's love and I have to go to church more and give more and, and just do more, more, more. And you picture God through the, the lens of, of working your way up to God. It's the lie that God is unappeasable. You can't please him, and he requires a lot from us. But Jesus himself clarified this when he asked this in John 6, 28, like when they're saying, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered this, the work of God is to what? Is to believe. Is it? The work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. Jesus is like, that's it. Believe, put your faith in, put your hope in the one he has sent. And I know the pushback from from some people will be, yeah, but I got a verse, Colby. I got a verse that says, you know, uh, faith without works is dead. And that's true, but that's after you get saved, not how you get saved. Are you with me? Sure, we do that from a place of, of being saved, from a place of receiving the love that God has for us. Like we want to do good works. We don't do it so that he'll like us. But I think the true picture is this, and I'll close with this, is that he is a desperate God. How desperate is he? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him, just believe, would not perish but have eternal life. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes in this room, and just in this moment, Just answer these two questions. If Jesus gave his life for me, for my sins, and I don't have to be be perfect, I just have to realize that he was desperate for me and that I'm desperate to be saved. If that's true, then here's the second question. What are you gonna do about it? Because the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You get a fresh start. The Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. It doesn't mean you're you're perfect. Man, but it does mean that your eternal destination is secure 
and also that God has given you a purpose and you're beginning to walk in that purpose and plan he has for your life. So if you were like me a long time ago, I would stare into that mirror and wonder, what is it that I'm missing? And I realized what many of you might be realizing right now is that the only thing that could fill that void in my life was God. It was knowing that his son Jesus paid an awful price for my sin, past, present, and future. And the moment I called on him, I was saved. If that's where you are and that's why you're here, I wanna lead you in a prayer that puts your hope and faith and trust in Jesus for salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says at that moment, you will be saved. If you say, Colby, when you pray that, I'm praying right along with you today. No one's looking around. Would you just throw your hand up? I just wanna see who I'm praying with today in this place. You can do it online too. You can let us know. Yeah, yeah, just keep it up. Just keep it up. I wanna see them all. Man, that's amazing. God, thank you, God. Thank you, God. God bless you. God bless you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yep. You can put your hands down. In fact, we're gonna pray this out loud together. The Bible says if you confess with your lips and you believe in your heart that God rose his son from the dead, you would be, be safe. So church, let's give some encouragement to those around you today that are praying this for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. Let's say it out loud together. Jesus, today I surrender my life. Thank you for dying for my sins. I repent and I turn to you. I confess you as Lord and as Savior, and I will follow you from this moment on. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, celebrate with those today. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.